1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast, 448. Terry Miller, the Disc Golf Guy, along with Johnny V. In spirit. In spirit. Because you're in
0: sunny Florida.
1: Sunny, sometimes muggy, usually warm and sunny Florida. Yes. None of of those things matter. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of which, uh, nothing like leaving whenever I did, what, Thursday? And then just the barrage and onslaught, I think it was on Thursday or Friday already, of nothing but snow pictures. And like almost a legitimate snowstorm blizzard type scenario back in Wisconsin or no? I mean, there was a little bit of time when the wind was picked up quite a bit.
0: It's hard to call it a blizzard when it just snows a lot. Like to me, blizzard entails a ton of wind and whatnot. And there was a little bit of that for a while, but... In general, I think right around my house, got eight inches, eight to nine inches of snow a little further north. A friend of ours, actually, th- this past weekend was, was was the Wisconsin Spring Opener
2: <laughs> mm.
0: up in, uh, that? I believe, how that uh, work out? Oh, Park, I think is where it was, something along, yep. along those yep. lines. Yep. And I believe they had well over a foot of snow that was mm. dumped in less than, about tw- less than 24 hours. Because <laughs> there was a picture I saw of a gentleman who got an ace the day before, and he's there With this disc and you see no snow on the ground and he shows a picture next day he's at tournament central and it's not quite white out at that point but it was very very touchy they ended up calling the second round and just not bothering because the first round took so long that they were just afraid they were not going to be able to get in a second round
1: i do i did not hear that now granted just like our event in texas i didn't hear a ton of the details because i was uh you know feet, neck deep, whatever, in Tallahassee, which was, well, I realized that they didn't play the second round at the tournament, which makes perfect sense with all of that snow mm-hmm. that came just the day before. Probably most people weren't expecting and or truly planned for it. And, and there's only so much daylight. So interesting, interesting news to hear. I that, think the hardest uh, part was... You're right. The fact that it all showed up the day before, had it
0: been one day earlier, everyone could have probably gotten to the tournament in a good time. They might even have pushed back the start time a little bit based on the fact that that all, all travel was super slow throughout the the entire Midwest, or especially Wisconsin. So it just took everybody longer to get there. Um our our buddy Steve who went up there said he didn't drive hardly any faster than 45 miles an hour from here up into up to Appleton, which normally it's 70 to 75 you're going. So it took him almost twice as long to get there. So I think everything was just pushed back a little bit. Life happens. You know, that's what you get when you do a spring opener the weekend after spring. And in Wisconsin, sometimes spring goes or doesn't
1: start until May.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: so. well... um Okay, well, hopefully everyone remains safe. I, I knew that some people just flat out couldn't make it to the event because of it. And uh, I, I'm going to continue to steer clear of that event. And I know I run an event in just a few weeks myself. We could have the exact same thing in southern Wisconsin uh, in on April 15th and 16th. But it seems like that event always has the worst weather and or <laughs> conditions. So... Yeah. I'm I'm gonna continue to steer clear of it and uh I, I guess I'll just complain about the humidity I dealt with in Florida instead. Eighty degrees, eighty five, no snow. All right. So tonight, uh, for everyone that's wondering, we are going to have Sai Ananda join us. She is actually uh, making a a near cross-country trip, I believe, trying to get back and relax and uh, get home for a little bit before she gets back out on the road. But she said she's going to take a pit stop and join us. So we appreciate that. I think we're expecting her around uh, 930 Central Time, so roughly 25 minutes from now. So if you're sitting here just waiting and all you care about is hearing from her. Well, you can tune out for a little bit uh, and then make sure you rejoin us. But Sayananda is going to join us uh, from the road and we'll be able to catch up with her. And until then, we can talk about what we saw at Texas States on the MPO side. And we can also talk about uh, what I experienced and uh, what we had over in Tallahassee. So, Johnny, you want to start it off with with MPO action uh, down in uh, Texas this weekend? Nothing more that I would like
0: to do, Terry Miller. Um, well, we yep. we saw Kelvin continue to dominate. He won by five strokes. Oh, okay. I think he went in with a four-stroke lead, and he picked up a stroke. The guy just is the bestest golfer on the planet right now. His putting is, for the most part, lights out. He just can't be stopped. It doesn't matter the type of course. It doesn't seem to matter the distance. Kelvin's on a heater. Uh, he's finished first. Third, third, first, or something along those lines.
1: There's, there's Who's no. Do you th- think he is the Kristen Tatar of of uh, previous podium <laughs> finishes? Jeez. Uh,
0: I mean, that wouldn't that be nice? That'd be a that that'd be a a season in MPO for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it certainly would be. So, Kelvin, I did. To be fair, I didn't even watch the uh, the the last round for MPO. Because it was, <laughs> to me, almost so boring knowing like, ugh, Givini, you got this. Watch Top Chef instead, so there's that. Wow. <laughs> that's, wow. That, that's, how, that's how my interest was peaked. Where are your priorities? Mm, uh, in the right place, apparently. Uh, second place, <laughs> a tie with uh, Anthony Barella and Joel Freeman. They were five strokes behind Calvin, as I said. Fourth place, the name we keep talking, other than Calvin, James Proctor. Proctor is having a season and he just, there's nothing, nothing stopping that guy right now. He, he, for those of you that didn't follow, I think we've talked about this, you know, regional player who was almost, I think he was 1040 rated for a while, went on tour. Just in general, I don't think had the, the best touring season and his rating dropped. It plummeted like almost 20 points. And for the, everyone that knows James Proctor knows that that's not, he's not a 1020 golfer. And I think we're seeing this year the type of golfer he truly is. So he was, what, eight, uh, I'm sorry, seven strokes behind Calvin at 26. Uh, Fifth place, Alden Harris. Sixth place, Nicholas Antila. Tied with Ezra Aderhold. Ezra, another guy who's having a really great start to the
2: season, I think, other than Waco. Was it Waco or was it Texas? Yeah, yeah, second. uh, and I happened to
1: just look at that, so I'll pretend like I knew that one. But yeah, he, that's his only poor finish out of the season, and mm-hmm. he's sitting in what, like the top, I want to say he's in like seventh place in the Disc Golf Pro Tour standings, or maybe even but yeah, uh, he's had a really good year, except for a less than amazing finish at Waco.
0: And Waco, as we know, I don't want to say, it, it's not fluky, that's not the right word to ever use with Waco. It challenges a different uh, set of skills, and maybe that's a spot where, Looking at Ezra, he knows that he needs
1: to get a little bit better in the woods. So we'll see. Honestly, uh, and to give him full credit, he's sitting in third. I, I was uh, I, I was thinking about his. I was looking at his finishes. He's sitting in third in the disc golf pro tour standings right now. He's got a sixth, a sixth, a second, a seventy-second, a sixth, and a sixth. Holy cow! <laughs> so he's consistent he doesn't have a two a two or a six in it he's not interested at this point so yeah holy cow uh one two three four different events he's finished either sixth or tied for sixth in four out of the last six events he's played on the disc golf pro tour so uh, he's yes, probably about the sixth best
0: rated player in the sixth best player in the world right now <laughs> we'll say uh, not rated but uh, anyway ezra aderhold in tied for sixth Eighth place, we had Aaron Gossage and Kyle Klein. Um a, a good showing for Aaron Gossage, who has not really been in the conversation much yet this year. And I would say a disappointing finish for Kyle Klein, who has been a lot in our conversation as he just won Waco and has finished well most of the events. So for him to kind of... And it's only eighth place. It's a silver series, a silver event, not silver series. It's a silver event. But ultimately, I think Kyle probably... Most people expected maybe a little bit higher finish from Kyle. A 10th place was Brody Smith, which is, again, a really good finish for him. He, you know, he took a seven on a par five where a lot of people were taking birdie on that. And that literally knocked him out of, you know, fifth place, fifth or sixth place. So Brody having a a really good event. I think we're going to see still with Brody a little bit up and down play. I think that's just it's. He's still relatively fresh, I will say, on the scene, and he's still kind of getting a skill set together. Tied with Chris Clemens, clemenade
2: shot a 20 under. Um, that's your top 10 right there, Terry. Okay. I mean, any any
1: wild surprises when we're looking at that top 10? Is there anything that like absolutely mm. blows your mind? No. Uh, honestly, I mean, as I said, I think... Kyle Klein, probably a
0: little disappointed in an eighth, just based on how he's been playing lately. You would have thought he would have been fighting for a podium spot, but anyone can have an off weekend. It's a silver event. I just, I think the big surprise is who didn't finish in the top 10. And that is Gannon Burr. Gannon Gannon took 19th, tied 19th with uh, Gavin Babcock.
2: Yeah, it kind
1: of looks like he took the back nine off is what he did. I'm just, I'm only, and again, I'm going to preface this and say this, uh, hopefully just this once. I consumed none, and maybe aster. I consumed none of the event this weekend as it was taking place in Texas. Obviously, all of my attention was focused on getting the coverage post-release over there in Tallahassee. So outside of barely two seconds of flipping through a Facebook or a Reddit or whatever, I saw a couple of headlines. I saw an own ace. Outside of that, I saw almost nothing. But just real quick and looking at Gannon's, uh, Gannon's finish to the event, from hole eight to hole 18, where you see a ton of blue birdies on UU disc, we see that there was just one single birdie by Burr. And so it it just yeah kind of looked like well, something either happened or he just mm-hmm. took the back nine off or whatever but clearly did not finish as strong as most of the field did. Yeah,
0: the back nine is is a spot where you can score. Um, there's two spots where I think Gannon failed. It was round 1 on the front nine where mm. uh he was he was like four or five over par on the front nine round okay. 1 and, and it was windy that first day, sure. very very tough conditions. But he did not perform nearly as well as I think a lot of people predicted. And then you're right, the third round of the back nine. Nothing wrong with the second round where he shot a 10 under. Clearly, it was that first round where he shot a one down, and then the se- third round where he shot a four down. Just a a bad event
1: for Gannon. I mean, sure, it's now
2: not much. You can and say I'm
3: going to lean it. on
1: you for this. I know everything I just said about not watching, so I'll lean on you for this. Talk about. The course, because this is an event that traditionally has that rotates. It's it's essentially bid out for uh, Texas states, then rotates from place to place. Last year, uh, we saw it at a totally different location, different tournament directors, all of that. Uh, talk about what we saw for the course or, or what your takeaways were from the course out there. Uh, the course, I thought it was
0: that it was a decent course for MPO. I don't think it was much it was much of anything special. Or MPO okay it, it's about 9800 feet almost 9900 feet actually so a relatively right now a relatively average length course for our pro tour series and it's a temp course it's not uh a, mm. it's it's not in the ground all the time unlike the FPO which is more or less a modified version of I think Brock um uh, Brock Park so this is what they call mm. Brock park gold. The MPO and the FPO had two completely different courses. So, which, well, the, which is pretty uh, unique in itself, right? Yeah, I, I think, and I hate to stereotype, but a lot of courses that are put in the ground for most parks and we'll say slightly upper level events are probably catered better towards our FPO players just based on distances. The MPO players will go to most of your local parks and shred them. So they need a, a, a different... They need different challenges. So the mm-hmm. FPO course was... I thought it was tuned a little bit. Clearly, it wasn't exactly what the park had is laid out as. But it was really good for them. There was really good scoring. I think we saw a bunch of 7, six, seven, 8 under pars. Um, really scorable. And it was obviously scoreable as well for the men, but i I didn't find the the men's course as compelling maybe, and maybe that's part of it mm. that it was the fact that Kelvin was crushing, like he just he kind of got out and just never and so maybe I lost a little bit of interest, and my thoughts wandered, and I don't know, all the other things, but I didn't love the men's course, I did love the f p o course, but I will say that there's a lot of people maybe paid a little bit more attention than I did to MPO that felt that this set of courses should be a staple on the tour. Maybe every other year or something along those lines, Houston had a really great turnout for spectators for a silver event. And I know there's talk about how much time we spend in Texas, but looking at Waco, Looking at Austin, looking at Houston, they all pulled in really good amounts of spectators. If you can get that every year or two, I don't see why we need to wander away from texas with with two
1: elite events and a silver event i I overall, I just would generically s i would generically rebut that by saying, I think there's something to be said about." Just being in a different state, even and I'll just make up a silly scenario, even if the exact course you played in northern Texas looks just the course you play in southern Oklahoma, I just think there's this idea of, hey, we're at a different place we're in a different location, therefore it feels different. And so for our players to be in Texas for three straight weeks, where you could flip a coin mm-hmm. as to what you're going to get in terms of the weather at this time of year, I think there's just a, and I'm only speaking but, from the rumor mill, there's just a lack of appeal to that. And that's not to be a rip on Texas or any of these amazing clubs and sponsors. Of course, none of that. But there is there is kind of this notion of like, eh, I don't want to be in the same state as big as it is. I don't want to be in the same state 3 weeks in a row. I I I we might think that's silly, but that's what the players are saying. I agree.
0: And obviously it depends on the time of year and what's going on because the only other place I feel like we can be is Florida. You know, you I guess you could go back to Arizona, but even anything north of Texas, you run the risk of snow.
1: Sure. And and so I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's phenomenal golf in, in Louisiana uh, down there. And of course I know people have to put in bids, blah, 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 and have to want to hold events. I mean, there's other places that could get played. Um, But I I also agree. I mean, obviously the, the schedule locks in to be a logical place. Like you said, if you're getting good turnouts, you're getting people that want to run large scale events. And if Texas happens to be that home, that's, uh that's great. I just I feel like our players have this notion of like, eh I don't know if I want 3 weeks there. I can understand that. I believe
0: we saw some players uh skip out on the silver event. People that were signed up mm-hmm. that just decided not to show. You know, KJ, KJ bailed, Matteo kind of bailed. <laughs> he was registered, Matteo was registered for two events this weekend. <laughs> uh and part of that yeah. might just be part of the the tour card. You register and you have Hey, there Fact. you go. So you're you're getting in anyway. So he was, I answered quite a few questions on skip base about where Matty O was. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's doing Tallahassee. Um, and we were right. He did Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. I think if you put the silver event between the two elite, it might force the players to stay. I don't know if that's what you want. And again, we've seen that sometimes it might be better for interest, for spectators, for uh fundraising to make this an every other year event. In in Houston. Yeah. We'll in, in we'll say just in Houston, because we saw last year when the when the tour stayed in Texas for this long, the the, the final Texas event had mediocre spectatorship. It, it seemed to lack a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, I mean I feel like it was different this time around, but who knows what you're gonna get next year. If Texas States is in uh, Dallas next year, you might you might not get that. Who knows? It's it's a
1: really tough call. As in, like I said, it, it always starts with you have to have event event organizers partners that want to be putting on an event. So it's all got to start there. We we can mm-hmm. we can say pie in the sky ideas and woulda coulda shouldas all day long, but it starts with uh, events and organizers that want to put on an event. That's got to be the starting point, and then the pro tour has now. I'll, I'll call it a luxury of being able to pick or choose where they want to be and and who they're going to partner up with to have an event in in any given location. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these are good problems to have, so to speak, that we have these choices, we have these opportunities. But I, I'm just relaying a little of what I hear out on the uh, ground, which I, is yeah, yeah. yeah know, it's
0: I mean, it's not just it's, it's not a it's not a secret.
1: We no, see and somebody post said it basically. perfectly on the on the board someone said well but 3 weeks in in um in Oregon Oregon has a different vibe a different feel to it um i i you know again not trying to be i'm not anti Texas by any means but if if you polled a lot of people especially disc golfers nature loving disc golfers and you said would you like 3 weeks in Oregon or would you like 3 weeks in Texas I feel like a lot of the the, the mm-hmm. poll is going to come back for Oregon. Oregon's just one of the most beautiful places to be. Now, way more expensive and has a lot of other uh, you know, perceived cons to it, but let's face it, uh, you know, that's that's not even I don't still don't think that's going to be a fair question uh, if, as to where you'd rather spend 3 weeks for most of our disc golf community. Fair or not, that's that's just a reality. So,
0: let's move over to right, fpo discussion as i said the course was tuned really nicely for the fpo i felt it was very scoreable uh sayananda our guest tonight once she you know finds a spot to 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 settle up she won beating kristen tatar by three strokes a, a very solid win for sai sai went into the round i believe with a four stroke lead oh i think actually it was it was like three strokes over own, but four over, over um, Kristen, and then there was some shuffling. So either way, she ends up with a three-stroke victory over Kristen Tatar. Third place, Owen Scoggins with a 16 under par, so losing to side by four strokes. Holland Hanley in fourth place. Fifth place, a tie with Katrina Allen and Jessica Weiss. Seventh place, Missy Gannon. Eighth place, uh, Kat Merch and Aria Castorita. And uh, running off the top 10, Emily Beach. This was, I know this is a silver event.
2: But one thing that I'll say is that this had basically every person other than Paige Pierce at it.
0: For your major FPO players. it, it I will say it did lack your Henna and Evelina. But Henna and Evelina haven't necessarily been in the conversation this year yet. Um... Off and on. I think this is a course where Hannah could have really excelled. She might have taken a, a podium here, um, or maybe a top five at worst, depending on
2: how things are going. But regardless of all of that, Sayananda handily beat the field.
0: And you could tell by watching Kristen Tatar play, there's something off with Kristen's game. Whether it's her putting, her approaching... She's just leaving herself with long, longer putts inside the circle and missing them. And I think that she has talked about it on her social media, how something is just not, some, I don't want say broken, but something's not sitting right with her right now in her game. And she has flown now back over to Estonia to take care of some personal things for a week or so, and then she flies back for Music City. And then she's going to take go Music City, uh, she might be playing the silver after that and then right to champions
2: cup
1: oh there is a silver f- event after that or is the week i think there's a week off actually i uh, think there is a week off cuz i think it goes music city and then the 15th and 16th i thought we had a uh, possibly even a weekend uh, oh no I, apolog- I apologize innova blue ridge championship yeah, the, at north cove I, uh, north sorry. cove yeah so that happens. And then, and this cup, and then of course, Jonesboro. Obviously, she's defending champion at both Champions Cup as well as, or not at Champions Cup. I'm sorry, not at Champions Cup, as I just said, she won the major. She didn't. Uh, She's so close. Uh, But obviously, runner up at Champions Cup last year, and then she went on and and destroyed everybody at Jonesboro the week after. So Mm. uh, we'll see her at those. Uh, Did you say if she is registered for? I did not see. She is registered for for the Blue Ridge Championship
0: it makes sense usually when uh when we see our overseas competitors come over they tend to play almost all the events just it makes yeah. sense to get them in yeah. but, you're here <laughs> i mean yeah you're she, here to play golf she's one of the ones yeah. that could take a week off and it probably wouldn't it wouldn't hurt or bother her as opposed to maybe some of the other players who when they come over they want to get in as much golf as humanly possible against the top competitors so own Scoggins yeah. gets an ace on the first round, a skip ace on hole two, I believe it was. So, oh, hi- does she owe you royalties for that? She does, actually. I know. I think I have to pay her. I think that's how that works because oh. I have skipace.com, okay. so I need to pay her something. So, we'll figure that out. Mm. Um, yeah. But anyway, Own Scoggins, a pretty solid round uh, or event in that matter. Uh, again, like I said, taking third, just a very, very own. Very own esque, I will say this, this event and watching, it was fun. I watched all of the FPO this weekend, watching the interactions between Cy, Kristen and own was enjoyable. They were having Mm. so much fun, always rooting for each other. There, every single, it felt like almost every single, uh, great shot was awarded, like. NUX by everyone in the everyone in the card. At one point, Sai and Owen are looking for four leaf clovers wandering around. It's such a different vibe than we get with MPO. For every star frame they got, star birdie will say. Um they'd all go up to the chains and shake the chains together. It was a funny yeah, like that's, it's, a, it, I it's think that's a,
1: a European thing, right?
0: Or yeah, a, it's been around for a little while, but but I haven't seen other groups do that, and I know Kristen's been in quite a few of them, but this one, they they were doing that as well, and it just, it was a fun event to watch. Cy kind of had it, I don't want to say she, she had it handily, because towards the middle of that final round, it got a little bit sketch for her when Own birdied two holes and then took a bogey, and she... And Cy bogey two holes. So it kind of got a little bit where things could get out of hand, but Cy buckled down. She she got three birdies in a row, 12, 13, and 14 on the final round. Followed it up with three pars, one of which she played masterfully, just laid it up. Didn't even there's OB. It's it's a it's a hole that uh that pushes out to almost like a peninsula. It's OB on both sides. Tatar went for it and because she had birdied the previous hole on 17, threw it out of bounds. Sayananda, I believe, went next. Guys, it's getting blurry now. Laid it up way short, like way short of the thing. This is a a 297-foot hole. I think Si threw it 160 feet, 180 feet maybe. And then... Owen went for it as well for the peninsula and went out of bounds. Holland Hanley went for it, went out of bounds. I believe Holland hit the OB putt though. The other two did not. And Cy had a, a, a scary 150 foot approach, 140 foot approach into this little Island, but she just threw something, a nice stable mid range, put it right on the Island and tapped it in on 17. When then she went to 18, Made the, (laughs) made the, uh, the water and then drained a, an unnecessary birdie putt. We'll say that, but (laughs) she's shaking her head. She's in our green room right now. She just showed up in the digital, uh, digital green room and she kind of nods her head like she knows. So, you know, we're talking about her. Let's just, uh, let's bring her onto the show. So I'd like to welcome Sayananda to the Smashbox TV, Smashbox TV podcast. (laughs) I can spit this out. Hi, everybody. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing?
3: Thank you. I'm doing really well. I'm coming at you from the streets of Denver right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, hopefully someplace safe.
3: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Uh, uh, right. Well, thank you. I told everyone at the top of the show that you'd be joining us, Ruff. So also that you're traveling, right? Uh, you're trying to get home for a little rest and relaxation or what? What's kind of, uh, we don't need your coordinates for any weirdos out there, but uh, w- <laughs> yeah. what, are, what are you doing?
3: Uh, so, yeah, I, I had um, from Houston, I think it was a t- 29 hour drive, I want to say, um, back home. So we busted out a one leg of it yesterday and then we're trying to maybe drive through the night tonight because we're we're very eager to get home. My, uh, my, we mean um, my dad and I.
1: All, all right. right. I, I did not realize that, so thank you even more so for taking out a little time to join us. Uh, so we won't keep, keep you long like a normal show, but um, so uh, presumably this was all in your plan of your touring and going home after this event and so on and so forth. It was, I mean, nothing's changed with all this newfound championship victory and anything.
3: Uh, Kind of, it's kind of funny how as soon as I I kind of like got the trophy and and signed awards and stuff like that. It was like, oh, the card behind you, you're going to need to get off the hole. There there's still cards playing and then, oh, um, I I need to get home so I can pack all of my or my Airbnb so I can pack all of my stuff and then it's it's kind of it's humorous how much life goes on, you know, after such a such a momentous kind of like you know day and such a such a such a momentous you know week with all the practice days leading up to it and all of this kind of all of this anticipation and then all of a sudden you know 15 minutes and you're you're in tears and then all of a sudden oh I have to get home I have to pack everything I have to prepare for the next event lodging for the next event and it's funny how how life just kind of moves forward (laughs)
0: Is there a little well, bit of i say? Is there a little bit of disappointment in that you're not continuing your your hot streak? That now you have to kind of take this break. A lot of the tour is going east, and obviously you're going west and going to kind of wait for the west, you know, the West Coast swing to come and hit you. But is there a little bit of disappointment that you're like, ah, I'm not going to go to MCO, I'm not going to hit Champions Cup? You know, it just feels like there's a lot of momentum behind you right now.
3: Honestly. It's kind of the contrary. I feel like that was such a, I don't know, such a big like kind of blow up, you know, that was emotionally that was so huge for me. And then physically just kind of like being on the road for the last, you know, five, almost six weeks. It's actually kind of um, relieving and, and actually really nice to have this big, you know, like emotional kind of like explosion, I guess to say, and then I, I get to instead of just racing off to the next event, or, you know, racing off to the next course to to practice, I get to kind of go home and I get to kind of sit on it for a little while. And and even now, it's still kind of sinking in that, that 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 actually happened. And the public definitely helps it sink in just the absolute like on like I think onslaught is a pretty accurate word of just joy and support and encouragement and like I I I literally haven't even had time to scroll through all of and like all of the messages and and all of the comments and all of the posts of just congratulatory you know just support and it's it's, it's honestly, it's really nice just to be able to go home and to kind of rest and and to, you know, catch up on all of that, you know, maybe spend a day on social media, you know, kind of connecting with people who are supporting and, and you know, replying to all those messages and stuff like that. So I I guess you could see it as maybe disappointing, but I think it was an absolute perfect kind of crescendo <laughs> a little bit. And now I get to kind of rest and, and and prepare myself for the, for my next leg.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like a walk off, you know, like, psh, ah, I'm champ. I'm out. I'll see you guys <laughs> later. Uh, I'll rejoin you. Yes. Now, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of your schedule, uh, a- according to the PDJ, at least your next event isn't until Masters Cup in the beginning of May, May 5th. And then it looks like you're playing almost every single weekend in May and June for the most part. Um is that truly going to be your next event and what will you do between now and and masters cup
3: um honestly i don't really have anything lined up so masters cup is going to be um the next event that i plan on doing and honestly it's i think i have Um, If I get back home tomorrow, I think it'll be maybe three and a half weeks I have to kind of, you know, relax at home, recuperate and switch up my wardrobe for kind of a warmer stretch. I, I have definitely have a lot of pants and socks and boots and jackets for, you know, Texas. So um, I'm kind of just planning on doing um, at least a little bit of rest, you know, a little bit of recuperation, spend some quality time with my cat and my boyfriend. And um, I think I have, a, I have a team back home uh, that I kind of go to putting with and just kind of putting league with and stuff like that. So I have a, I have a group back home that is so eager to see me and I'm probably planning on, um, playing a couple putting leagues if I can make it out there and kind of connect with some of my fans back at home and my friends back at home. They want to take me out to a big celebratory dinner and stuff like that. So I think it's going to be, a really nice break to kind of recharge myself a little bit and kind of refocus. And then hopefully I can get some putting league practice. And, um, I think there's am I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard of caliber disc golf course. I yeah. think it's mm-hmm. like the top six, you know, one of the best courses. And that's about an hour away from where I live. So I think the plan is to quality time with boyfriend, maybe some putting league, and maybe go hit the you know sixth best <laughs> course in the whole world to to keep my skills you know uh, uh, at the tippy top.
0: Now, you uh, that uh, sounds like <laughs> so There's a kind of a, a saying that we tend to use in, in disc golf where you need to learn how to win, but this is really your first opportunity in the pro tour at least to win but you've had success in other other avenues so to speak you won am worlds here in Wisconsin you were in Madison Wisconsin that's probably the first place i remember seeing you and hearing your name watching your game thinking like i think she can be pretty good at some point and from there you <laughs> dropped off uh i've listened to a few other interviews with you and so i kind of have a general idea of you know kind of some of the things that happened between then and now, as far as, you know, you having to kind of re- regather your life, we'll say, um, after mm-hmm. after some financial issues that you ran into. Do you feel, how does this win compare to the Amworlds win? Like, both of which were extremely
3: exciting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to compare because the Amworlds win and this win kind of happened to different, different size. You know what I mean? Like back then that was, I don't know, similar, but, but, but different because both wins are, they mean so much to me. Both wins I think are, um, are and were kind of pivot points in, in my career. So winning winning that AM Worlds in 2016 that was the kind of the catalyst for my pro career. You know, that was the I'm sure I could have gone pro, you know, before then, but for me that was like a kind of a like cinching it and 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 wrapping it up with a bow. Like I I have accomplished almost everything that you could hope to accomplish as an amateur player, you know, an amateur world title is probably one of the highest things that you can accomplish, you know, without playing professionally. So that was like a really huge kind of like sign off for my amateur career, and to move forward into the next chapter in my pro career. And so I think there's a little bit of similarity in the fact that this is also really pivotal for me being my first win since going on tour officially and my biggest success with west side discs and i think it's i don't know it feels it feels similarly incredible but i think this has a lot more um like a lot more power to it. You know, now like it—it's—it's it's kind of been unreal the the last couple of days, just to kind of feel that. Um, I mean, I don't want to say fame, but kind of, you know what I mean. All of a sudden my name is like in the limelight and, and, and there are so many disc golf media outlets that are, that are talking about my statistics or, you know, that, that crazy putt that I ran <laughs> and we, we can get in, we can get into that cause it's a funny story. Um, and so I think, I don't know, I think this, this is really powerful. I think this is really huge and really powerful me for me and I think I'm really hoping that I'm I'm setting myself up for just an an amazing year. And honestly, if this is the, the biggest success that I have this season, I've already reached and surpassed some of the albeit modest um, goals that I have had for this season, you know like uh, I want to cash at some you know as many events as possible. top tens are super amazing. top fives are super amazing i've I've gotten an ace this year. I've gotten a couple thousand rated rounds, which is amazing. Um, I've gone. Got a few amazing bogey-free streaks, which I'm kind of proud mm-hmm. to be known for. I've got the the Par ananda. so pars pars mm-hmm. mean a lot to me. <laughs> pars make the birdies count. So I, th- th- this win is just it's so huge for me. I think on so many different tiers and 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 so many different levels that I'm still even kind of realizing you know, like what this win actually means looking forward into the future and just kind of like for the future of, of my career and, and my personal life. Like this, this could be, um, I, I think, and I guess maybe to summarize Worlds was an incredible accomplishment, but I think this win, even just a silver series win, I think is life changing for me i want to say this is this is going to kind of change change the coordinates change the direction that that my life is going and i think that's it's just so incredible
0: we saw west side released a, a support disc congratulating you is that still available i was looking on the website I ain't quite get a chance to finish poking around out there is that available That people can still support you and pick up a disc
3: uh yes um, so uh, a little bit of a plug. If you follow me on Instagram at Saiparananda, there is a link in my bio that will take you to the page. And um, on that note, it was kind of incredible. Um, I as, as you may know, I was with Latitude 64 for six, I think, almost seven years and I move over to Westside. And so Westside released this uh, tournament warship to celebrate my victory. And incredibly enough, Latitude 64 decided that they wanted to share in that victory and kind of share, share their support. So they have actually released the disc overseas in Europe, as well as the United States, which is like, super huge. I don't think I don't think any other Trilogy player um, has, has done that before. So you can find it at Latitude64CE uh, and you can find it at Dynamic Discs as well as Westside.com.
0: Well, I heard that's why House of Discs ended up buying uh, Dynamic, just to keep you on the team. Right. They they saw you move <laughs> over to the west side and they were like, we can't let her go. We'll buy your whole team. <laughs> so,
3: yeah, just uh, Yeah. You
0: were a major over. bargaining.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Major bargaining chip and all that, which is awesome. Uh, you, so let's talk about you just said, you know, uh, that that particular putt. And, and maybe before you dial into that specific decision making, just talk about your game this weekend. And was it any different than this weekend's, or or what? What was the difference, if any, in terms of how this weekend went down for you compared to some of your previous outings this year? Like, what was the difference?
3: Well, I think this is um, this is going to be a really big year for me in like learning experiences. You know, I've obviously played a handful of, of bigger events and elite series and majors and stuff like that, but I don't think it really compares to how saturated I think your experiences become in disc golf when you are playing, you know, every weekend for, you know, whatever, whatever period of time that is. And so I'm really trying to absorb as much as I can from each event and just learn as much as possible, because one of the one of my, you know, Achilles' heels, as I think, has always just been my experience. You know, I've, I've always kind of had the skills, you know, the distance and the putts and and the accuracy and stuff like that. But competitors. Have always kind of had the edge on me for from the experience whether it be just experience throwing on different courses and having a more diverse disc selection or having the ability to kind of scramble in a different way or whether or um, like mental experience you know just having gone through those experiences so many times your your thought processes are a little bit different so I would say that my Practice and my focus and my intention for each event has kind of changed as they move forward. Um, looking back at Las Vegas, kind of, and and Waco, there was definitely a different level of like whole analysis and and strategy. So I think, and I think that showed in the amount of OB strokes that I got and and it could have been just kind of the way the courses were were playing for me it's kind of hard to say whether it's you know correlation or or causation and stuff like that but my OB strokes I think really took me out of throwing and and, and playing successful rounds in in Vegas and Waco because I would I would finish the round thinking wow I I I played pretty decent you know I maybe it wasn't incredible but I played pretty good And then I would look at my scores at the end of the day and realize, okay, yeah, I did, you know, the amount of shots that I threw were pretty good, but the penalty strokes on top of that kind of (laughs) didn't reflect how I felt about my play. So that was a big learning experience there in just kind of managing that. kind of throttle between like going for an aggressive play or sticking with a conservative strategy and taking the bird in the hand rather than the the you know two in the bush and stuff like that so I tried to make a couple adjustments as I moved into Waco and I think I made some improvements there, but the finish at Waco was super duper rough for me. And I I kind of wasn't able to manage my OB strokes again that weekend. And so when I went to Austin, it was definitely kind of first and foremost, don't go OB. And then you can kind of build on top of that. And then so like first and foremost, have that conservative strategy and then you can toggle from there and kind of make conscious decisions on where you want to take your birdies or, you know, take take those strokes that you can. And I think that showed that that focus that I decided to apply, I think, showed in Austin. And then I obviously had a really great bogey free round there and did really, really well on OBs. So that was a huge learning experience. And then I think I took that learning experience going from Waco to Austin and applied it to this event. And the course, um, the B-Rock mod wasn't, it wasn't so tight with the OBs and the ground wasn't super duper skippy, but there were definitely a factor. In your aggressive play and whether it's worth going for that extra 50 to 70 feet of distance to maybe put yourself in a position for three or you could try and give yourself that extra 50 to 70 feet and, you know, flare out of bounds and end up taking unnecessary strokes so that I think managing OBs and managing that toggle between aggressive and conservative play was, was a huge learning lesson. I just in those last four events and I'm hoping that I can kind of take that and apply that to the the rest of my season as well as kind of just learn from each new course that I end up playing and really try and kind of carve myself as, as a golfer and just, taken as much as i I possibly can kind of
0: so let's talk about hole 17 and 18 to finish out the round um i kind of described it on 17 did you mean to lay up that short was that your plan right in front of that tree because it felt like you only cut off about half of that hole when i felt you could have been a little bit more aggressive
3: So right in front of that tree, I definitely wanted to be maybe 15, 20 in front of that tree. Um, It was probably hard to see, but I ended up releasing probably 5, 10 degrees to the right more than I wanted to for some reason. And so I got caught up in these little um, branches that were kind of dangling me down. And then it pushed me and slowed the disc down into right in front of that tree. I mean... I definitely wouldn't choose to have an awkward um patent pending <laughs> yeah. right behind a tree in my in my strategy. Um so that I I don't think I played that hole well the entire weekend. I don't think I had a I maybe maybe around one. I had a I had a solid um a like a solid drive on that, but I was playing I was playing that hole for for par one hundred percent. In my mind with my skill set, I didn't think that it was I'm, I'm backhand dominant and i just didn't think that the backhand line was worth having to putt for par if i went out of bounds or it, i i guess i i kind of play my uh, my head and my my emotions a little bit so if i think that a shot is going to be too risky and then it's going to cause like an emotional flare i i don't really need to play something that's worth a stroke but could cause me a, a stroke later on just because it kind of frazzled me missing a putt or missing a shot or something like that. So my game plan for that hole was definitely to to play for par, but on rounds two and three, absolutely did not execute the drive the way <laughs> I, I intended to. And then I guess, um, to rewind just a little bit to hole 16, Kristen Tatar made the only birdie on that hole. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, in my mind, that was a really huge and, and pivotal moment, just going into that final stretch to have her have the solo birdie and kind of just creep that one shot closer Going into 17 was super duper huge and potentially could have played a factor, I think, in my nerves and me kind of having that little error on, on that tee shot, honestly.
0: So then talk a little bit about 18, because I've, you, you, perf- you perfected the shot with the, uh, as you're saying, the patent pending on 17, which was a very difficult approach. But then you have to go into 18, a water carry with, some protective trees o b all along the outside it 's not extremely long is it what two I think it was two eighty two seventy two um so yeah. r- run us kind of through what you 're thinking on eighteen because at this point, everyone at home knows you have about a three stroke lead two or three stroke lead
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um so. Playing for, for that par on 17 felt amazing, especially since, I think you were talking about it earlier, since everybody else went OB on that card and I was able to really maintain. So that was kind of a, okay, you slipped up off the tee, but you were able to rein it in and keep it together. And there was definitely a lot of nerves going into 18. Like you said, it's, it's just short hole and it should be a pretty stock shot. You throw it straight, have it hyzer into the green, Nothing super duper complicated. There's a few little bushes in there that I ended up getting caught up on in round two. Um, But going to that hole, I, I, I hadn't checked scores at all. Kind of going into the round, I just told myself that I'm going to execute the shots that I know that I can execute, execute the shots that I know that are within my skill set, within my range, that I can, that I know that I can accomplish and whatever happened happens, you know, may, may the best player win, I'm going to play my best game. And I know they are, and whatever happens on the, the final putt of hole 18, I am going to be absolutely elated not only for my performance but for the, the the performance of my competitors so moving into 18 i really just kind of tried to clear my mind of of any kind of excessive thought like that and just focus on you know throw the disc straight hit your line don't go too far because you don't really want to make the green and then go swoosh and and skip past it you know onto the sidewalk even though that's you know a pretty um Easy comebacker for par, but basically my my thoughts going into this were just kind of like keep it together, you know, <laughs> one last hole, just just keep it together, one shot at a time. Don't overthink it. Execute those shots. So moving into 18. Um I can't remember who had the box, but after everyone teed off, you know, I, I landed in bounds. Um I I want to say everyone. Landed in bounds, if not in the circle um mm. on that last shot, so after Kristen made it because I, I i I didn't know scores, but I knew kind of in my heart and kind of in the in the back of my mind you had the she box one the the way. Way. you
0: you let you let off on <laughs>
3: okay. that yeah. yeah i i i had i had to lead that off <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's that was definitely intimidating um so after Kristen made it in bounds, I thought she had made it closer because I came up kind of short and I was just, you know, on the, on the front of that little embankment basically there. So after everybody teed off and we're walking to the basket, I decided that that was the moment when I wanted to check scores and know, if I needed to lay it up or if I needed to run it or just, I I needed to give myself that information to know how to kind of play it moving forward. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if I just had like panic brain and I was looking at the, the round total, not the uh, overall total, but for some reason I thought that I only had a one stroke lead on her going into that hole. And so (laughs) yeah yeah you kind of see 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 where this little was going because here. i think
0: with a three so, stroke lead <laughs> I, off the tee even i attacked that whole differently like the way you the yeah. way you the way you drove it was i don't want to say it was tentative but you made it over you made it over the water and you kind of landed there on the front bank with a three stroke lead me personally i i throw that disc as hard as i can Clear the water, clear the trees, clear the road. I'm OB on the other side, knowing that I could easily take a four and win. But when you laid up and made it over, I was like, oh, that's a different approach. But awesome. Go for it.
3: (laughs) Because I was just apparently in my own little world of panic, basically. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, okay, she's inside the circle and she's closer than me. And if she makes this putt, she could tie us. And move to a playoff. And, Lord, I do not want to play off against this incredibly skilled and experienced player. Just a phenom- phenomenal player. So, that was that was fear. Pure fear. <laughs> and so, I'm thinking, I got to make this. I got to make this to to secure the win I have to resist to close the door I was it was just outside of circle so I want to say it was like 35
0: okay yeah you just got it at 38 so I I I couldn't tell based on where you were but yeah
3: yeah, that, that's pretty close. I think I could see one of the little orange tufties that was just like right, right in front of my lie. So yeah, that was kind of the thought process of like, Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness gracious. She's closer than me. Oh no, I can't, I cannot let this go to a playoff. So I, instead of trying to in, in my, my own scenario, instead of going into a playoff and giving her another opportunity because if i give her an opportunity i have every belief in the world that she has the capability of taking that opportunity so yeah that was um that was panic that was do or die well you <laughs> basically
0: yeah well, and you did it you you drained a 35 a foot putt for the win over the best players in the world that has to be good and just I mean, there's one thing to lay it up. The smart move, as everyone says, the pro moves lay it up, drop it in, because you don't want to hit and roll and go be B-deep and then panic and miss the comeback and end up tying it and no. looking looking foolish, any of that. But you, under what you thought was immense pressure, you dropped in a 35-footer. That has to feel great. Like, knowing that you have that in I, you.
3: I, I definitely did that. Um, and... I don't know. Part of me has always believed that I, you know, have that in me. Um, I, in the past, have kind of made a a handful of pretty clutch putts like that. Um, One huge moment for me was a big uh, A-tier win at the United States Women's Rocky Mountain Disc Golf Championships. And Sarah Hokum had traveled to that event and she was the basically the big player in the field. And it was honestly a really incredible story and, and an incredible event to, to share with her. Um Sarah and I ended up tying the first round, the second round, and the third round, tying completely to go into a playoff, and I throw my shot and I'm probably edge of circle two. And Sarah throws her shot, and it's a 20-foot putt. So in a playoff, I'm first to putt, and she's 20 feet away from the basket. And somehow, with just the most raw willpower I could possibly channel, I canned like a 65-foot putt. And she was looking at that 20-foot putt to carry us to the next hole. and some somehow by the grace of the universe had missed that 20 foot putt and 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 got me the win so I knew that I had it in me and that was kind of what was going through my head as I was lining up that putt is man you've been putting pretty good um you should definitely you should definitely try you know in my own scenario of having to make it for the win you know believe in yourself and place a bet you know place a bet and and swing that putt and see if you if you win that bet and i i won that bet <laughs>
0: so i have to ask you're, you're you're traveling with dad right this for this this trip but i didn't see him on the bag you would think that maybe having a caddy would be useful, especially maybe some of the conditions that we saw this weekend. Is that not your style? Would you rather carry your own bag or was he busy playing? I'm not, I'm not even sure.
3: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it kind of is my style to carry my bag. Um, I have the Latitude 64 easy go. So it's a pretty lightweight bag, even if it's full of, you know, water and drinks and everything. So the, the main thing is he, he carries everything extra. So I don't have to mm. fill my bag and carry a 50 pound backpack. So I can roll light and just carry my discs and carry my bare necessities. And then he carries, you know, spare discs, jackets, extra towels, snacks, um, the, the, uh, umbrella, umbrella. Nah, the word. <laughs> yeah. Umbrella. So I kind of carry my discs and water and kind of my, my bare necessities. And then he's there for anything else that I, I could okay. possibly need or if I um, throw a disco B and I don't have time to retrieve it, I can always send him back to go grab a disc, which is super duper helpful. <laughs> Getting and so the water pops, kind of. Yeah, he he helps me with you know everything other other than my discs, and um, he isn't playing. He's just kind of he's there to quote unquote caddy for me <laughs> um, and kind of support me, help with driving and stuff like that. And so yeah, yeah, he's the the caddy that carries everything but the bag.
0: <laughs> then the, the my my <laughs> my last question I can think of right now at the top of my head regarding Texas state is round 3 and I, we don't normally talk about outfits in general, but the shirt you wore was that yeah. more was that more logistical for the for the conditions or is that more stylish? Because I noticed you were the only one you don't see people wear that type of sleeveless shirt very often. And all I thought when I saw you on the first tee was, God, that's brilliant because it's kind of rainy you know i hate it when the sleeves get stuck on my arms and whatnot i'm like or or is she just trying to intimidate everyone with a gun show i don't know what is she trying to do totally
3: (laughs) (laughs) well it was a little bit of both um i i love fashion and and i love expressing myself through you know my style and through my clothing and that's that's something that i really enjoy just like as a person but it was also um for functional reasons um i decided to wear the leggings in case i needed to pull on rain pants and wear something waterproof um and then it was also probably like 75 almost 80 degrees like it was it was haw. and so that was kind of the i wanted to be able to layer down and not kind of like you said not get that like soggy Mm. sweats basically so it's raining i don't need to be sweaty and and raining essentially, <laughs> so that was definitely, I mean, the little wrap around my leg, purely purely style points, purely super. It fit. is definitely because I I mean, wasn't sure
0: if it was yeah. one of those tendon wraps that some people wear under their knees or on their arms, but it's so that's just all okay, stylish. Not yep. bad. somebody yep. asked me just about it. Bit. They're <laughs> like, do do you do you know if that? And I said, well, it looks like one of those one of those uh, straps that you put on your leg for knee issues. But now I know it's just stylish.
3: All right. Yep. <laughs> Pure, it's like a, like a handkerchief, pure stylish expression. Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you wear handkerchiefs around your neck in the past before that, that was always like kind of like a stylish thing. I, that's the the image that I have of you a lot from U.S. women's last year in general and other places. But it made me think of last year, U.S. women's, the big talk about you was just like you said, how few bogeys you took. You went all, I think there's five rounds and didn't take a bogey until like whole 16 or something on the final round. You were you were in contention for that up until, you know, at that point. It would have been tough. I think you were just a few strokes out of it, but you you were right there in the talks for top 2 or 3. It was kind of amazing.
3: Yes, that was um that was just incredible. And I think I mean, I guess just a little bit of insight. I think my clean clean golf is always kind of what has helped me kind of place and and get the scores that I can so I'm really hoping that this year I can not only maintain that safe strategy and maintain that par golf but I think this year is really where I want to push my comfort zone into that more aggressive kind of elite level play that you see from so many of the women out there who are fearless with a driver and and run some some crazy shots and just go for that extra distance so I guess just a little like like a dog ears. is that something I I love my consistent play you know it obviously Sai Parananda is my my tag on Instagram I play for the pars and I know that if I keep it clean the birdies will come and that's definitely like a a huge part of my strategy but I I definitely want to get better at that more more aggressive side
0: So you've you've played and beaten now the best women in the world. You where do you put yourself? Mind blowing. Yeah, well, not really. I've watched you play. You have a phenomenal putt. You have really good golf distance, and and you're just very consistent. So when you look at the field and you look at yourself, do you kind of where do you place yourself? Or when you look at the, or maybe a better question is when you look at those other women. And you say, "Where can I improve my game so I can be as good as
3: them?" Well, I don't know i I guess I just kind of I come from a humble background where you know I've never really i mean of course i I think highly of myself and and you know I know that I have skills, but it's that's definitely i'm I'm in a transition where I'm kind of going from thinking i'm the the new pro you know, on the block, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a budding pro that still has some experience and has still, still has things to learn. And it's kind of, it's internally a little bit of a transition for me to kind of realize that I'm not just competing with the top females in the sport, I am actually participating as one of the top females. In the sport, so it's it's kind of been interesting to watch that view of myself kind of shift a little bit and kind of move towards, you know, seeing myself as that that top level athlete rather than regarding myself as you know as they are the top level pros and then I'm kind of the one who's who's coming in and and stepping into it. So I think. I think this win is definitely helping shape that that view of myself and, and kind of regarding myself as as one of the the top level, you know, females. I, I'm not sure um, where my my ranking is at the moment. Um, I'm not really sure where a 949 rating would kind of place me in the world right now. But I want to say maybe top. 30 or something like that top top 40 I'd want to say so I definitely I have so much so much room to grow I I really in in my heart and and in my mind I don't think that I'm even close to plateauing just in regards to my skill and development and my mentality and, and, and my strategy, I really think that this, this year and, and the challenges that, that I face in playing not only elite level courses, but playing these elite level courses for the first time, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how this year and, and competing with these phenomenal professional athletes is going to shape me moving on to twenty twenty four because I definitely want to to do more and, and better moving into twenty twenty four.
1: With with that, um, you know, I the, the board has said it. I think Johnny has kind of alluded to it, that this course was seemed like it was universally loved by spectators. And I know you're gonna probably have a little bit of a bias because of course you won on it, but what do what did you think of the course I, and maybe you can separate yourself from winning it or maybe not, but when you when you reflect back on this course, how it played, how to either your game or just in general for the fPO field, is this a course you'd love to return to or is this a course where you're like, ah, I played it, I won, but I'm ready to get on to the next course. Like how do you kind of reflect on the course itself that seemed to be so beloved by by the viewers?
3: Well, I think it was, um, it was definitely refreshing, I think, um, considering the courses that we've played so far in the season in just in terms of like scorability and and playability. Mm. I think it was one of the more fun courses. Um, I do have to say that I think um, the Beast was probably my, my favorite course so far that I've played. Okay. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was, um, I enjoyed it with, with a little asterisks, you know, I think it was very similar to courses that I've played in the past where, where I come from, it's usually pretty flat. Um, you know, not a lot of elevation change, but a lot of trees to kind of shape the fairways. So I was feeling really, really at home with a lot of the tee shots and a lot of the approach shots just kind of comparing them to courses that I, I play back home. So I think the course definitely suited my skill set. Um, and I guess that's easy to say, since I did play so well on it, um, I, I may tell a different story if I or it may have told a different story had I, you know, shot 12 over on every round or something like that. But I think that it played very well to my skill set. It had open greens, which allowed me to Um, approach and putt really well, which is something I practice quite a lot, you know, about 150 feet to 30 feet. And and then inside the circle is where I practice quite a lot. And then I guess, like you said, um, golf distance, you know, I'm I'm not really going to blow anyone away with the amount of distance that I have. But I do also have the ability to throw anything between a 300 foot shot and even pushing like a 410 foot shot. So I do have, like you said, that that golf distance where it's not really going to blow you away, but I can still find myself out driving um, some top level players on occasion when I do choose to kind of like stretch it out a little bit.
0: That's actually what I was a little surprised about was watching you throw this weekend. And then there was a few times where like Kristen Tatar is known as a pretty far thrower and you were walking up like 20 feet in front of her disc. I'm like, wow, like that's just and you didn't look like you threw it hard. It's not like you threw a big flex shot. You didn't throw you just threw a really solid you have a very compact form and, and, and you and you, you out you were out driving Kristen Tatar quite a bit. And even Holland Hanley once in a while. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Um, and I, I have a, a, a friend at home, Stuart, who likes to say I have sneaky distance <laughs> um, where you wouldn't really expect it watching me throw, but then all of a sudden you'll, you'll see me park a 450 foot hole somehow. And you're like, how does she do? What did she, where did that <laughs> come from? <laughs> you know? Um, and so I guess, you know, back to the course a little bit, I, I, I really loved it. The The whole atmosphere of the course was really fantastic. You, you had the moss hanging from the trees. You had clovers everywhere. And I liked the lines. But I think some of my criticisms could be that some of the shots were I guess I was, I was hearing people say they were a little bit repetitive. So some of, some of the longer holes, it was kind of, you know, stretch out a distance shot and then you've got to approach down there. So I think there maybe could have been a little bit more diversity in some of the holes for a little bit more like score separation, I think. And the mound holes were a little different, Uh, okay, someone asked we, about
1: those. <laughs>
3: they're hard the because chat, someone yeah. said because if did you're not you within, about them,
0: if so, you're not right at the base of the hill, it felt like everybody laid up. So your it was yeah. re, it, it was really approach dependent. I watched, you know, we we saw own hit a really nice nice long putt. I think we saw Tatar hit one as well. But I I think you laid up everyone that I recall seeing. I believe you laid up right under, you know, right to the base of the the pin.
3: I laid up for bogey. I ain't messing around with none of that. Whoop, 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 whoop. Mm. None of that business. No, not for me. Um, so that first one I thought was really interesting because it was weird because I, I wish I would have looked at the stats, but I don't think anyone toed that hole. So everyone was either laying up for a three or a four, or running their putts and not successfully making their comeback or, or, or making their, their initial putt. So that one, I think, definitely could use some adjustments. I think it would be fun to, if you maybe just scooch the tee pad a little bit closer and made it a little bit more like you can run for the birdie with your drive. And then you've got like an intense comebacker putt for for your for your birdie or for your par if you miss the green. And I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in course design. You know, that's my, my, my humble opinion. But I think that one could have been changed up a little bit.
1: Well, uh, and to back up, I guess what you're saying, as uh, Billy on the board is saying, there were no birdies for FPO on either uh, hole's all weekend so that 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 is a piece mm-hmm. of you know analytical feedback or data that you could go back and look at and say hey w- you know was it only birdied once or twice or was it rarely birdied as opposed to you know the the distribution that you're looking for you know, you know when it comes to good holes I that's something that could be you know improved upon or at least reviewed and then see if changes need to be made yeah. so yeah and that I makes mean, perfect there sense.
3: Were- there were plenty of birdies, you know, out there on the course too. So it's not like, you know, I necessarily needed another short birdie shot, but I think considering I want, I want to say that's hole 10. So it's like right in that middle chunk of the round where you're kind of, at least in my mind, I'm kind of transitioning to, you know, how am I going to finish the round? So after, after hole nine, it's kind of that subtle shift to, okay, I've got, you know, eight more to play. I've got, you know, these many opportunities to to get a handful of strokes and then kind of that, you know, classic finish strong mentality of like, you know, keep trucking for the next, you know, four or five holes and then, you know, finish strong on that final kind of gauntlet, I would say with, you know, 16, 17 and 18, maybe not so much 16. But I think that's a nervy hole considering it is right before 17 and 18 and it's this kind of like hey i'm a birdie right here don't you don't you want to get this final you know easy ish to kind of a you know throw it down the gap and have it finish not a incredibly technical shot but still you you have to execute that shot so that was essentially interesting and then kind of moving on to the the second mound hole I think. That one played better. I think that one definitely encouraged you to either, you know, go for max distance off the tee and try and run the green, you know, on your second shot and, you know, pray that you stick onto the mound and maybe you get that three. So I think that one played pretty well just in terms of challenging people's decision making and and aggression. And so that one didn't play too bad, but I also did notice that almost everyone was either laying up to the base of the mound or unsuccessfully running the green from their tee shot and ending up kind of inadvertently laying up anyway, basically. And then you just kind of pitch it up to the basket and that was it. So I mean really minor things you know other otherwise the course really played really well I thought it was a really nice venue it was um it was honestly a pretty beautiful oasis kind of a, a respite from the hustle and bustle of of Houston that you can kind of find there's just there's <laughs> just so much going on in in every nook and, and cranny of that city so to to go through you know, I I left an hour early from my Airbnb and I was only 35 minutes away from the course. <laughs> but you just, yeah. you I had you, I had no idea what was going to happen. There was one day where we got stopped at two different trains and they literally weren't even moving. They're just oh, stopped on the tracks. So I made sure I was like an hour and a half early for every every tea time. Uh, so it was it yeah. was really nice to go from these kind of super busy streets and really aggressive drivers and all of this hustle and bustle to all of a sudden, you pull into the parking lot and you get out and you hear birds chirping and you kind of hear the breeze blowing through the trees. And it was just this interesting little oasis that they kind of have in Houston, where there's just clovers everywhere. And it's just a really, I thought it was a really beautiful, beautiful course. And it was, it was a pleasure to play, you know, despite some of my, you know, minor criticisms.
1: (laughs) So, uh, per, per the board and per what you just said, uh, I, it sounds like I have to ask, well, did you find any catnip apparently that you, uh, you have a cat on tour with you or what's, what's the story there?
3: So that's, it's, it's a pretty funny story. So during a practice round at Waco, I was with Erica Stinchcomb and Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember his last name, but it was a really cool photographer named Kevin. And we're just kind of chatting up and having a fun practice round. And we all release our tee shots on hole 15. We approach our tee shots and we're, we're looking at the basket to line up our approaches. And all of a sudden we kind of like, look forward and then we look at each other and then we kind of look forward and we're like is that a cat on the literally on the green like right next to the basket is that what are you seeing are you seeing this too
1: not cat merch <laughs> <so>, not cat <laughs> allen a, an actual cat. yeah
3: <laughs> a feline <laughs>
2: okay a feline
3: okay um yeah and so and, and it was funny because i look over at erica and, and she said the funniest thing she's like well I'm not throwing my approach. Now there's a cat next to the basket. I'm, mm-mm. Mm-hmm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. not doing that and risking hitting a cat. Mm-hmm. And so we all just picked up our lies and approached the cat as you kind of normally would a little bit slowly, you know, and, and not, not trying to like startle this cat or anything like that. And we approach it and we're like, you know, doing, doing all the little cat noises and cooing at it and stuff like that. And it's just this tiny, tiny little kitten, maybe, Anywhere between six months and a year old, but I wouldn't say more than a year old. And he literally just walks right up to us and starts like rubbing up against our legs and and rubbing up against our ankles and like walking around. And so like, I'm literally looking at this cat. I'm a cat person, if you can't tell. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I don't need a cat. I don't need a cat. <laughs> My dad has a cat. My mom <laughs> has my mom has two cats. I have a cat and two dogs at home. Not my dogs, but mom, my, my boyfriend's parents has two Jack Russells. So, like, I've got plenty of animals in my life. And I, I literally, I, I'm picking up this cat and I'm looking at him like... <gasps> <laughs> like, are you gonna take it what are we like what are we gonna do right now and erica's husband was like mm, i don't think we can do we can't do a cat erica's slightly allergic and her husband was like nah and mm-hmm. um the other guy on the card kevin definitely didn't want a cat didn't need a cat so nope. then all of a sudden i'm like well guess i have a cat now um ah, i have to figure nice. out figure out how to deal with that. And so I, I went through um, Central Texas Pets Lost and Found. And I went through uh-huh. a couple of Facebook pages, posted a handful of pictures. I checked uh, local vets and shelters. I got him scanned for a chip. No chip, not neutered, just a, just a natural boy that somehow ended up <laughs> on the disc golf course and I've speculated, you know, how he got there, but there's no real knowing, you know, he could have been a farm cat that, you know, scooched over to the disc golf course. Someone could have, you know, ditched him at the park, which kind of happens all the time. Unfortunately, when you have a litter of kittens, you just kind of spread them around. And so when we were on the course, I'm just looking around and there's a really busy road right next to B east. There's Mm -hmm. turkey vultures. everywhere in Waco and so I just there was just no no way I was gonna leave that cat around and so I I spent the week trying to see if someone could foster him or you know see if I could home him somehow and I'm sure a disc golf disc golfer would have taken him but the the little guy just he just won my heart he was so cool and he he ended up to kind of like flash back a little bit not to make the story too long but he like followed us through like seven holes he followed us through through the end of the round basically and we kind of coaxed him a little bit and was like you know come here you know come this come this way but he literally just followed us through and was like, ha, h- "Hey, um, I don't know that I need a home, but I, I kind of need a home, and you guys are nice, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you guys because I know it's good for me." Mm-hmm. And so I just I ended up taking him back to my campsite, and he we like we put him into my Prius and we're like, Oh, hopefully he doesn't hate car rides. We're going to figure this out. So we Mm -hmm. put him in the car and we drive to Walmart and get our groceries for the day or whatever. And then we come back to the car and he's literally fallen asleep with like his face half smushed on a bag of chips. So we come back to the car (sighs) and he's just asleep the most relaxed chill cat you could ever imagine. I got him a harness at Walmart and I put the harness on him and he doesn't love it, but he doesn't hate it. (laughs) What cat does? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He he
3: does the thing. Yeah. Where he's like, uh, this thing weighs like 10 pounds and I can't move with this harness on or whatever.
1: (laughs) Uh huh. So
3: then I got a leash. I got a leash for him and I started leash training him and he took to it immediately. Like no, no fuss, no fighting whatsoever. So he just like, he was born to be a road cat, basically. Mm. And um, I got a little box from the dollar store, filled it with a little bit of litter and was like, here. And he's like, oh, cool. Thanks. Boop, boop. And completely litter trained.
2: So nice. just like in every nice. way,
3: in every, in every way that you could imagine a, like a cat being the perfect travel cat, he basically is. I, I think he's, I I I could probably even show you he's just like
0: Yeah, we saw him a little bit walking back and forth there. But
3: he's just taking he's just taking a nap on on some boxes right now. You came out
0: of Texas with a pro tour win, a belt buckle, and a cat.
3: Yeah. And an ace. Uh,
1: And an ace. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Although technically Yeah, how does life get
1: any better? Yeah. (laughs) How does life get any better? Come on.
3: You you kind of said it man like and and I, I kind of touched on it before you know if if these are the only highlights that I have for the year and and, and I don't do anything spectacular for the rest of the tour I I doubt it but man I I'm going to be be pretty content and and pretty happy with my my performance so far and just kind of I I my heart is 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 pretty full right now <laughs>
1: Awesome. Well, I I think that's a perfect way to end our conversation. Uh, wow, it's it's been so awesome to hear everything that you've experienced already this year. Like you said, f- already exceeding your expectations. Already four for four on cashing in a year you just hope to to maintain and get by. And here you are with a win in your back pocket, a cat uh, that's already litter trained, and uh, heading back for some relaxation and rest so that you can get ready for when the tour picks back up on the west coast in just three and a half four weeks whatever it's going to be for you uh we we are i think the entire world is as happy for you as you should be for yourself and along with your family and the pride that should go along with everything you've accomplished uh, here in the early part of 2023. Is there anything you want to say to the rest of the world? Any sponsors, ways that people can continue to support you? Uh, give give all your uh, sign-offs and plugs and, and uh, support and uh, social media handles and such.
3: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be brief but corny, but I, I really definitely want to Um, express my gratitude for my dad and my mom and my brother who's Prius I am traveling in um, so much gratitude for my boyfriend who just absolutely makes me feel free to go travel and, and and do the things that I love so you know thank you thank you to Sterling and um I definitely a shout out to my best friend, Melody, who is um, dealing with a little bit of personal struggle with um, some cancer in her life, but I, mm-hmm. I wasn't able to say it before, but I kind of, you know, wanted to dedicate that win to her since she's going through so many things. and, So just, just so much gratitude for, you know, Team High Country, um, the team that I'm a part of back home who's doing fundraising for me at local putting leagues and, and putting together fundraising tournaments and, and everyone who is, is donating discs for me to raffle off to, um, to rally funds. My boyfriend is, you know, raffling every other weekend to, to help support me. And so that I just definitely wanted to express gratitude for, for the, for the amazing people in my life and, um, and I, I can't even express enough gratitude for Westside kind of taking a little bit of a chance on me, and and giving me the, the the financial support that I needed this year to accomplish the incredible things that I I have done in the last you know four and a half weeks. So Westside Discs is just a, an incredible. Um, piece to to my successes this year and to, and to my ability to travel. So I have so much gratitude for them. And um, you can keep an eye out for the release of a Westside Tournament X bear with a really, really beautiful Psy Lotus stamp on it that's coming out on April 13th. Um, I'm really excited about it. We, we, I was, I was super picky about the logo and was like, mm, can we change this? Mm, can we change this? And so they worked with me and I was so excited, um, with how it turned out. Um, and as I said before, you can follow me on Instagram at Sai Parananda. You can follow me on Facebook if you'd like to, um, the link in my bio on Instagram will take you to the West side page where you can pick up my commemorative Texas state championship disc. Um, And I have already received an overwhelming amount of support with my um tour series discs or not my tour series discs but the the dymax discs that have come out so mm. far so thank you so much to everyone who has bought the wu-tang disc you guys are <laughs> overwhelmingly incredible it's it's absolutely insane um and i i think i think i'm sure i could i could talk for another 10 minutes about you know of the gratitude I feel and, and then the people support me, but I think that that pretty much summarizes it, you know?
1: Awesome. Well, uh, again, we of course are super happy for you. It's been, it's been a heck of a ride in the FPO division this year and, and seeing stars like yourself show up on a weekend like this and, and talk about trending in the right direction. I see you, you know, 25th to 9th now, you know, to first place. And and like you said, just picking up those lessons in the first couple of events in the first couple of weeks to then have it all compile and then, you know, culminate on a weekend like this for you. Uh, the the entire world loves it. And uh, I, we just can't say it enough. Congratulations. Get the rest. Travel safely get the rest and the uh, you know restoration and everything else that you need when you get back and, and make all those connections again. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what else you're going to do here in 2023 and beyond. So thank you so much for joining us tonight.
3: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, and I hope that this is only the beginning.
0: Well, I guarantee you we will have you on again. <laughs> yes we
3: all right
1: uh love to you and your father travel safely get home safely and uh, again we'll see you uh probably in the next few weeks uh when the when you get back on the tour we'll see you then
3: thank you so much you guys have a Thanks great side.
1: night all right take care see ya bye
0: hey i'm ryan reynolds at mid mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot To be able to take the shine away from Own Scoggins on the weekend, because everybody roots for Own. I mean, she is Mm -hmm. one of the most Mm -hmm. charismatic
2: people out on tour. But this weekend, I truly felt that everybody was rooting for Sigh, and it wasn't just yeah spectators.
0: I think. Based on some of the social media posts, I think some of the pros, maybe that weren't necessarily in it, were rooting for Psy to win as well because she's kind of a known commodity. As she said, she's been a she hasn't been on tour, but she's been around the scene off and on, and mm-hmm. we could tell just from this interview her uh, her passion for life in general. So I think watching that, if again, I know I'm a, I'm a sucker for Scoggins winning. Just on multiple levels, but I was rooting for Sai, hands down. After that first round, it was like, "Cool, let's go." I want, I want to see Sai win,
1: and it was a, a pretty amazing weekend, to be honest. Yeah, it. Uh, it c- congratulations, as she said, so many things that she's learned, and then, uh, what is that? Six different winners mm-hmm. in in it's, FPO yep. that we've seen. I mean, what is that? You know, we've talked for years about. Dominance and or a lack of parity uh within the division because it's always well was it Paige or Cat or Hokum, you know for so many years it felt like those were the only two or three on any given weekend, and now clearly we're proving any and every given weekend we have frank contenders i I think Paige was of course in the field, and she said how she was so excited to see it unfold this weekend so uh congratulations uh, yet again like you said impossible it feels impossible not to root for her and um you know everything she said here tonight just backs that up it was uh awesome to see so yeah and and dare i say i mean what a weekend then in in a sense in a similar sense similar but different sense of course for west side in that on the other at another big event taking place, again, selfishly when I was covering, but on the MPO side, playing for Westside, another big fan favorite in Matty O and him taking down this weekend as well. So all in all, not a bad weekend for team Westside.
0: Yeah, both of their top players on their team. Uh, what, God, what What is their team called? It's got to be something clever, I'm sure the warlords the warlords are the top mm. level team of west side there's only two of them it's matteo and Sayananda. Hmm. okay well, so get, getting warlords get, this weekend get, getting two wins is, in a weekend is great for any manufacturer and especially a smaller uh, yeah. it's funny cuz we consider west side like just a smaller uh, entity when now they are a part of this much bigger entity possibly the biggest one in disc golf but they are a subset of that. So it's pretty exciting to, for. it's gotta be exciting for them to see that they made some bets over the last year or two and they're paying off.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, so speaking of which I'm going to jump right into just a couple of the uh, results that we saw over at, the 18th Open at Tallahassee, sponsored by Visit Tallahassee. Just when you thought the <laughs> the event name over in Texas was was a long one, technically this one uh, probably challenges it in terms of the overall characters. Uh, but uh, on the FPO side, we'll we'll stick with that train of FPO division. Uh, when it was all said and done, Morgan Lins held off her twin sister Jordan Linz, to take down the A tier victory. So uh, Morgan. Uh, even though her sister, Jordan, uh, you look at the last two holes uh, between the two of them on 17 and 18, uh, Morgan or Jordan, excuse me, picked up three strokes to cut the deficit from six down to three. She picked up three strokes in the last two holes, but it didn't matter. Uh, Morgan would go on to be your champion. And then finishing also on the podium in the third spot uh, was Florida zone. Ellen Widboom, And, I think literally all seven of the FPO competitors from, from the Open at Tallahassee, uh, I will see in a couple days here at the Throwdown the Mountain, which is another story. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, some stories re- relating to that. But I think all seven of those same women, uh, we will see. Let me just double check real quick. Is there um, any talk of the,
0: of the Lynn's twins going out on tour? Or are they kind of stick sticking with Florida? I mean, they, they took, uh, what, second and third at, at Amworlds last year behind uh, Cadence,
1: right? Cadence yeah, Burge. so uh, that is something maybe I'll find out more this weekend. That I okay. do not know off the top of my head. Uh, and, and just to say it, there was s- seven women in this weekend's event at Tallahassee. I think all seven of them are playing at throw it on the mountain and then there's five additional women. So there's a total of 12 women in the FPO field this weekend at throw it on the mountain, but we'll talk about that later. So anyway, one final time, Morgan Linz, your champion. Congratulations to her. Uh, Jordan Linz, her sister taking second and Ellen Widboom taking third. So that's what you saw on the FPO side on the MPO side. I say it all the time one of my favorite parts about going to tournaments that aren't just on the silver. uh, What is it even called? It's not the silver series. So it's what it's just a silver event, silver. Okay. The silver event, Uh, the silver event and the elite events is getting to see so many of these other next up and coming superstars and a few of them that come to mind uh, that I've seen sometimes in the past and we'll see more of Brayden sides who I ultimately interview or talked to and, and filmed Uh, Aiden Scott, whose name I spelled wrong, uh, but I saw him Uh, uh, Dylan Sepala, Just these are players that we're going to see in the next year, two, three, five years. And then they're going to be out on the tour, where they're going to be playing more regularly, and we're going to see them on lead cards. And I'm going to be like, "Oh yeah, I saw that guy in Tallahassee. I saw how he handled himself." Uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that I get so excited about seeing. But when it was all said and done, none other than Team Westside, the the Warlord himself, I think, is that you as you reference, uh, Mattio Orem, uh, did take this down. It did feel like it was his to win. He did have a sizable. Uh, again it's always just on paper, but he did have a a pretty healthy um, margin when it came to just straight up player ratings when you looked at him for the weekend and I was going to say he was rated ten forty coming into the weekend, and his next closest competitor uh was rated ten nineteen Silas Schultz at ten eighteen and then a lot of ten eighteens to you know so on and so forth so coming into it on paper, he was definitely a favorite. And when it was all said and done, well, he came out ahead. So congratulations to him. He shot 1055, 1043, and 1037 golf, so just a little bit above his rating. And to talk about the top five or so-ish spots, uh, again, Orem, your champion, Silas Schultz uh, ended up finishing in second after a great, second and third round, Uh, mediocre first round, really charged hard in rounds two and three. Casey White, who had, again, a mediocre first round, charged back pretty hard in the final round to get the third podium spot. So uh, Orem, Silas Schultz, Casey White, and then uh, Sullivan Tipton in fourth tied, along with Braden Sides. They finished in a tie for fourth. Aiden Scott in sixth, along with Mark Chapelonis from the vlogs, uh, DW has Haas and, uh, Randy deck Duke. I'm going to go with Randy deck, uh, finished, uh, eighth and then a two way tie for 10th with Dylan, uh, Seppala, as I mentioned, and Matthew Alexander. So top 10, Open at Tallahassee and uh here, aside from the great play and the incredible park, the historic park that everybody loves and the layout, we saw this for the silver series last year. My best guess, and go ahead and, you know, mark it on your tapes, because that's what you do. Or put it on your calendars. I, I I I wouldn't be surprised if we see another promotion back to either a silver or an elite series for the open at Tallahassee. I mean they I feel like they're doing everything right mm-hmm. and it's probably just a matter of timing. Well, to didn't get you figured say out. that's in, that's my guess.
0: One of your social media posts they had 20,000 in added cash. 20,000 in added cash. That's a pretty good start to at least get on as a silver event. And That's not enough to be a pro tour event, but if you're able to start with 20,000 okay. and you're just a, a, an A tier or whatever whatever they happen to be, and I'm throwing just yeah. in quotes there, because being an A tier mm. is is a lot of work. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me to see some more Florida established um pro tour events, because we'll we'll get into the conversation right now. Next weekend is Throw Down the Mountain, which has been talked about as a possibility for a silver event for a few years now, run by Mike Barnett. And this week the big, big, big news was that Paul Macbeth purchased the property along with Dylan Cease, the MLB pitcher who is gonna be opening day for the White Sox, one of the easily one of the top five pitchers in the league right now, who happens to be an avid disc golfer, a friend of Paul. So we now have this throw down the mountain venue that hopefully will become a permanent course. And I think that that is if if Paul has his way, which he usually gets, my guess is that this might become a a stop, whether it's a silver event, whether it's going to be a pro tour. I don't know, and I haven't been there. I've only seen it on footage. I don't know if it could be a pro tour event based on the course, but it feels like it would be a really good silver event. But who knows? Things could change now that we own the property. And when I say we, I mean we as a community.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we as a New Dylan, and
0: Paul.
2: <laughs> as in I, I didn't invest anything in it, but. Uh, well, I'm glad you locked contribution up. Uh, I'm glad and, you locked up because well, yeah, uh, nobody well, needed to com- hear
0: whatever
1: you said. <laughs> uh, all right. Am I back now? Yes. Okay. I have numbers been been made to the the purchase of that um and i asked that in we're on the nick and matt show last night i ain't got time for that uh but they probably i'm sure spilled some information uh and or provided some and i'm just wondering uh C- citizen x is saying 1.6 okay hmm. anyway so I, I i'm not at i'm I'm not. I'm not going to share anything that I don't know if is or isn't shareable at the moment. But um, yes, uh, someone's saying over a milli. Is there a milli one point sure. three. So people are just making up random numbers now because <laughs> one point six and one point three, and then over a milli are all. <laughs> I mean, that's all over a milli, right? Uh, they yeah. Uh, they said one point two. Somebody said sixty acres, one point six million. Okay, so lots of people are talking about one point two million. Um, yeah over a million dollars obviously and
2: i i don't know what they said last night so i'm just going to go on what i what i believe i don't think there's any doubt well let's back up
1: they could do whatever they want with the property in theory so like there's a course and there's been 6 or 8 or 10 or 29 iterations mm-hmm. of the course if you if you ever go out there with Greg Hosfeld, he'll tell you where every pin and every basket's ever been. No, uh, because please. he was one of the original. He was one of the original designers out there, and 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 one of the guys that made it all happen. Uh, I believe from way back in the day. So, and and if you play with any old school people, someone like a Charlie Goodpasture or whomever, again, everyone will tell you where every pin's ever been. I think I could map them out, and I, I w- I've only been there for a number of year for a few years. So anything is possible. I mean, there is clearly not, there's clearly a course that we're going to see this weekend that has become kind of the final version of the course that we've seen for On the Mountain, mm-hmm. and then a slightly scaled back version of it for some of the uh, lesser skilled divisions. That's been particular to On the Mountain and to Mike Barnett and Sun King. In theory, we all know now that they own the property, Dylan and Paul could go out there literally with bulldozers and do whatever they want with mm-hmm. it. So what version of the course will we see and is is possible may or may not be at all like what what it is today. And as people are talking about it, 63 acres, 60 acres, whatever the case is, somewhere in that neighborhood, there's a lot of property out there that is not being used for disc golf as we speak. I mean, a lot. I mean, you you as you roam around out there. If you're a disc golfer and you're roaming around out there, it'd be weird if you're not, uh, unless you're one of the cows, I guess. If you're roaming around out there, you're like, oh, this would be a good spot for a hole, or or oh, hey, this could be a tee or this could be a pin. There is a ton of that out there, and I'm sure Paul, throughout the last decade, has had plenty of those very thoughts. In fact, we've talked about some of those. So the the a course. Of any caliber and design could then happen. And and just to bring this full circle, I think one of the challenges that way one of the many reasons why we maybe haven't seen this as a silver series or on the Pro Tour, A cell phone signal has traditionally kind of sucked out there. And B, which obviously then prohibits live. And then B, because it's been rented property for all these years we haven't seen permanent T-pads put in, like cement T-pads. We haven't seen a, a permanent structure of that sort, and they're essentially temporary T-pads. And one of the primary uh, basics for for uh, uh, our Elite Series events and our PDJ majors and so on and so forth are a certain degree of T-pad, uh, of whatever that is. But they're, they have to have these they have to have T pads that are of a certain standard. Mm-hmm. And that's just a commitment that someone on a temporary renting the property for a four or six week basis that Mike Barnett and Sun King have done for the last decade has not been a practical solution for them to do. Now, again, when this land is, it can be used exclusively for disc golf, all of those options be are now put on the table. And you're talking about a couple of guys that have a little bit of money in the bank, that could then be able to afford to do so and make it practical. And I think there's options of, you know, if this becomes either free or pay to play or a membership based scenario, whatever the case might be, it's it's now going to be a permanent disc golf course that just opens up a million more possibilities on the property. And I think that should be the most exciting thing for all of disc golf is just the fact that everything's now on the table. So after that dialogue or that monologue, I wonder <laughs> if there's anything that's been said that maybe I either misunderstood or contradicted from what was said last night, but Tim's on the board saying they were talking about a lifetime membership of, for $2,500. Um, Ryan saying he sees a future where the pro tour starts in Florida. Um, you know, there. I, here, here's another challenge that I know personally, this is kind of just outside of the town or city of Brooksville. This this is essentially an old quarry, you know, and cow pasture right now. There's not running water on the property. There's not electricity on the property. Like, there's clearly infrastructure. Whatever ends up going there is is one thing. But infrastructure is going to need to be established out on the property. And so those are things that I think a lot of people either don't know or don't realize, but that's going to be part of this overall process. So I'm excited to see what the future has. I'm excited to see how, you know, an event like Throw Down the Mountain and 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 Sun King, how that relationship continues and in what form that continues and what they're doing. I'm excited to see all of the possibilities, but you've got two guys that love disc golf that do have a little bit of money. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think anything's possible. Did they get any cows with the purchase? That's a good question I mean you got the land you know you you can stick your head up a cow no, <laughs> no um i that i that I don't know um but i I'll find that out by the end of the weekend and and real quickly you you speak of cows I'll speak of goats uh Ken Climo was out on the property yesterday and uh ultimately celebrated birthday so happy birthday to fifty five uh uh Barry Schultz, uh, of course, one of his biggest competitors and adversaries for, for, uh, you know, better part of a couple decades, uh, celebrates a birthday today. So happy birthday to Barry Schultz today. But, um, yeah, Kenny was out here and, and the rumor was that he had a, a, a little newfound excitement maybe in his, in his voice and, or, or, uh, just about the idea that it's staying this property, which he's of course very familiar with as well, and has competed here for you know a number of times, it's staying within disc golf because it was about to be lost to a non disc golf entity to maybe never have another event at it again or for certainly to never have another event at it again, just to hear that this property, which has become very special to Florida and Florida disc golfers, that it's going to remain within. Disc golf, and it's going to be in the hands of of, of Paul and Dylan. So, yeah, it's just uh, it's just really cool. And, and I know Johnny, you would have a slightly different um, air of uh, of excitement and enthusiasm had you once you get down here and see sure. that it just it's just become a really special place. And I I selfishly can say that because I've been here now for the last. This will be my ninth throw down the mountain out mm-hmm. of the 11, I think that they're ha- they've had, this will be my, I think my ninth year in a row of being here for it. So I've certainly experienced, you know, so much of that magic and beauty that the Florida disc golfers have as well. I mean, this is now an event that I think is spread out, uh, spread out over six weekends. So four weekends mm-hmm. of play, over six total weeks where this course is available. Can you think of a more, I don't want to say spread out, but can you think of a more encompassing or, or uh, yeah, just a, a larger scale magnitude single event, Johnny? No.
0: no, I would be curious to know how many
1: total players that is. Uh We could do some math. I'm some, not going to do math. Smart could. No, no, but no, anyway, no, I mean, he's selling out every weekend. Correct. You know, and, um, you know, so you think about that, you know, some people run one or two big tournaments a year. He's essentially running, you know, a big tournament for four out of six weekends, all on a temporary course, uh, without electricity or water. <laughs> I mean, you know, hats off to, to Sun King and, and Mike Barnett. So, and I'm not just saying that cause he's going to pay me, but he is going to pay you, right? <laughs> but I think he is gonna pay me, so well let's keep the news <laughs> anyway. in the uh the southeastern
0: portion of our country, and we're gonna move up just a little bit to Appling, Georgia. The Champions Cup announced I guess technically I think the announcement was today, but yesterday you could see on the registration that the Champions Cup opened up twelve more spots, eight in MPO. Am four- I in now? Four in FPO. No, Terry, you just barely missed the cut. Um, But they're not just going to open up to the next people on the wait list. It is going to be play-ins.
1: What?
2: Okay, so I'm
0: basically in. You're basically basically in, in. I mean, just get down there. Play W.R. Where's the first
1: T and what's what's the saying? Where's the first T and what's the course record? And what's the course record? That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I Um, mean,
0: come on. So we've got... And the plans are only open to the people who were on the wait list. I believe when they opened up. So that's 26 or 27 MPO. And I believe 9 or 10 FPO. There were were 16 touring pros on that wait list. 16. Mm. Half of them are not getting in. I have to wonder how many are going to bother showing up to play in. Just... If if, if you if you are and I'm not picking on him, Casey White, who finished third this weekend, who finished third this weekend. But if you're not in the area, we'll say now he's different because he'll probably be in the area. He he tours. He's
1: technically there today, but that's another story. Exactly. But if you (laughs) weren't in the area,
0: would you travel out of your way to go there? You know, and I know Casey has actually been practicing that course pretty religiously over the last few weeks. and he did last year as well. Uh he went there he went there real early last year um according to one of the interviews I listened to from him. But anyway, would you bother going knowing that if you're if you're not James Conrad, if you're not Kevin Jones, there's a good chance you're not getting in. And the second question is is are some of those big guys not going to get in? Are we going cuz WR Jackson is a course yeah. where you could go out and shoot a couple under par, you could go out and shoot a couple over par. And your round didn't feel that different. It's heavily wooded. It's long. There's a lot of danger to get into. I'm actually, I'll say I'm excited to know who does and doesn't get in. But I'm also disappointed that it had to come to this for some of our pros, as we discussed last week. So it's going to be fun. Well,
1: it's going to be fun, fun, um,
0: fun to hear people chatter about this.
1: Well, and and just right off the bat, for starters, I take a look at the the uh, wait list, which I'm going to put in the chat for anyone that cares to look. Uh, as I'm looking at it, some of these people are, are I'll say, more obvious. And first of all, like you said, if you're on the road and you're touring, and it's and it's logically, it's a four hour trip for you. That maybe is a no brainer, mm-hmm. right? That it's no big deal. Of course, I want to play in the major. I'm going to drive the four hours. I'm I'm trying to get in. Somebody who might be more than that or says, well, if I don't get in that, then maybe I take two or three straight weeks off. You know, they'll have to obviously wrestle with that decision on their own. But then you look at a few of the people like, I just think right off the top of my head, someone like a Matt Dollar. Uh, or uh, an Evan Scott who lives in South Carolina. Some of these people that are like, it's not quite their backyard, but it's kind of their backyard. They seem like a no-brainer, like, oh, well, I'm going to for sure go try. Now, Will, um, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody who's maybe kind of sort of on the tour-ish, you know, Ben Wolf. I don't know where Ben lives uh, or Ben is out of, but like you said, will will he then still go take his shot? Yeah, maybe. Um, there's so many other people that I think are for sure going to, though. I mean, you got to assume Aaron Gossage, Ezra Aderhold, Andrew Marwe, Double G, uh, Andrew Presnell, Kevin Jones, Austin Hannum, James Conrad, Nate Perkins, Lou Humphries, Noah Meinsma. Those guys are all Casey White, Tim Barr. Those guys are all on the tour. You have to assume they're going to. They built it into their tour schedule, maybe prematurely, <laughs> but they built it into their tour schedule. You have to assume they're planning on it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a great question. And, and then you said how many, four spots in FPO. There are four spots in FPO out of the six people. I thought there was eight, five, but there's now. It show, well, as of right now, it shows five women on the waiting list, and uh, I I do not know Silva. Uh, serenin Sa- Uh otherwise you have Leah Synergeny Haley Childs who mm-hmm. lives right there Jessica Weiss and Emily Beach um, so four of them you know are, are well three of them are touring players uh, I do not know Silva personally and Haley Childs I know lives nearby but isn't necessarily a touring player but would likely still come give her a shot at at uh, uh, earning her way in so yeah. Uh, anyway <laughs> It wouldn't, yeah.
0: I guess. I said it wouldn't shock me if one was yeah. that if one of those FPO didn't make it in or didn't even bother to show up and then all four of them just get in. That would not shock uh, me either.
1: Uh as I'm guessing Carney is either being funny or or not, but yeah, someone initially said as they going to be five on a card or uh Carney uh had said uh whole 18 and whole a- 18A and 18B plus ghost cards. No, none of that. <laughs> none of that silliness. Uh, and, and I, we said it last week when there's effing rain out there and everything is, is delayed by one hour and then the whole thing gets, uh, a a whole round gets cut out (laughs) or a a round or, or some people have to complete a round the next morning and blah, blah, blah. And we run out of daylight. I'm not going to say I told you so. And, and I know a rain delay could be 30 minutes or it could be, or it could be four hours and, and it is what it is, but you're. The more if you it, push it.
0: If it's close, right? I can guarantee you, you're going to get an I told you so from Terry Miller. Yes, Count it. You're,
1: we're, we're officially playing with fire at that point, right? We are. So anyway. All right. Uh, so that was announced. What today? You're saying or yesterday now, or I recently? believe the, the actual
0: announcement went out today, but I did see the spots open up yesterday on the wait list and. I had gotten some inside information, which is why I made the joke last week with Paige Pierce to maybe not necessarily count on Nate Perkins because uh, I knew that they were going to be he, opening he up. He may
1: attempt to qualify. He yeah. may attempt or, to qualify. Or maybe, as Paige said, maybe he's 100% committed uh, yeah. to caddying and he he removes himself from even attempting to qualify. I mean, that's obviously possible too. So. Oh, 100%. That could happen. <laughs> All right.
0: I wonder if it's going to be a cost. Um, I wonder if they're going to charge them or if it's just like, hey, here's qualifying spots. You're on the wait list. Kind of
1: like uh, USDGC has like the yeah. initial like $50, $50 yeah,
0: hell, fee. Hell yeah. I'd milk them for another 50 to 70 bucks. Hmm. I call it a and stupid make tax. A
1: donation. Yeah. No, make it a donation to a uh, some kind of charity then.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't care where the money goes. I just say you milk them for some money and call it a, you know, a tax, a silly tax, hmm. a brainless tax. And not clicking fast enough to act. Mm, You know,
2: some
1: of them, some of them did, some of them didn't. Uh, All right. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we will see how this all shakes out. Uh, Looking forward to it. Uh, Let's take a quick look. I didn't know if there was, obviously it felt like everyone's mind was on one of those two events that we just talked about this last weekend being Tallahassee and Texas. Was there anything uh, else out there that, uh, the only the only other news,
0: and this was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday because it was my mother's birthday. It maybe remind reminded me. Um, the world's registration opened mm. up, and did you see Terry? Who the very first person to register was <laughs>
1: number one. Uh, was it like James Conrad? Or it was Ezra Aderhold. It was close. Ezra, okay.
0: <laughs> Ezra, who was on the wait list for. Uh, Champions Cup. So he was the very first person to register when it opened. So congratulations to Ezra, number one, on the board and in our hearts. But ultimately, the world's registration is now open, and the world's invite list was also posted. Now, this is obviously a little different because, and I'm going to drop a little bit of PDGA knowledge on you that I didn't know until last week. Oh, gosh. You might already know it, Terry there was a big discussion as to why the PDGA didn't email everybody for champions cup. Like, Hey, why, why not, why not email anybody? The PDGA actually has a policy about that. That says events cannot email players unless they're invited to a tournament. And for champions cup, there was only 20 or 30 people that were invited. I think out of, cause it's an early, uh, It's still pretty young. So I think that I could be wrong with the 20 or 30 number. Maybe it's as much as 40. I don't know. But so those people got invites. Now, for worlds, I believe that world invite list is much longer, which is why a lot more emails went out. And my understanding is the PDGA has a policy about the emailing to help cut down on potential abuse and spam of their members. Because the last thing you want is. The last thing I want is another email from Terry Miller, just because I registered for an event, or maybe I'm in I'm in his area. He's asking people for money. Hey, do you guys have any sponsorships or things like that? I mean, because that's
1: what some tournament directors would probably do. Now, maybe some they do. In- some in Wisconsin have apparently abused this spamming policy already. I, I name I, any
2: name.
1: <laughs> Not um, me. Not you. So that is the reason
0: why the announcement went out the way it did. That's why they don't email. Now that might change in the future. That's going to be, I'm sure all this stuff now is on the table. They're going to talk to about it. Should there be an exception for majors? I could understand that. Like it's, it's, there's so few of them. PDGA is running them. I could see an exception to where the PDGA does email out everybody who has qualified, not just invited, but qualified for this to, to, to Hmm. alert them, um, but that is the current reason why the PDGA doesn't do that. It's going to require a policy change at the PDGA spot. So my guess is it'll probably be something that's discussed at the next uh, meeting of the PDGA minds, and things will things will happen. And I, I don't know what that is because I don't. I do this time. I do not have any insider info. I just figured I would share that information with everyone out on the board to know why some of those things don't happen. It is to help cut down on uh, abuse
2: of your email by tournament directors. So uh, there's one thing I like to abuse.
1: It's uh, maybe not email. No, I don't. Nah. Uh, okay. Well, that, that is good to know. And uh, it, it is funny. Someone someone had just posted something about, uh, and I don't know exactly the, the full, um, context, but they said, uh, something to how ancient of a system where you have to register. And if talking about a tournament, I I don't consider that quote unquote ancient at all. I mean, yeah. let's be real. Some someone, let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. You won an event last year. You that qualified you to play in the Champions Cup this year.
2: What if your life's different, you're not on tour, you're not you're not
1: you're injured, like mm-hmm. there's a million reasons why you may not come to the this tournament that maybe on the other side of the country or in yeah. another because you won a freaking event in Estonia. Psy I don't think you all, Ananda. I, I Ananda I just don't think it's you should not to this event.
0: She just literally won an event. She played okay last year. She took top ten at USW DGC. You would think she's in the top, you know, fifty women. She has she had no interest in going
2: to this event based on her. Touring schedule. So say, well, you're registered. uh, Thank you. You're back. Are you right? You're backing up my
1: point. Like, yeah, you you still have to show that you're you're interested and you're dedicated and you're putting forth the effort to show that you're coming to this event capacity because otherwise Mm -hmm. if they just registered everyone that was eligible, well, then you'd have to scale back the eligibility considerably because you can't have 400 people registered for the event. I, so, and,
0: then, and then you have to adjust what your registration yeah. policy is. You know, like I said, Manabu, who's the who's the highest rated player. You've got uh, uh Daryl Nodland, who's like a ten thirty something plus rated player who plays one event a year. Uh In North Dakota, it, South Dakota, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Emac, who's still ten thirty rated, but who Congratulations took second place at his first event in like a year at Texas
2: State. He's States. a world
1: champ. But he's, he's a, a world, world champ. Should champ. you just be should, Rem, put just him in the re- Hall of Fame? Give him give him a Yeah. for d- 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 s- signing up. I mean like there, there is this mm. interesting notion and I'm all about rewarding and thanking and and providing some perks to some people for some reasons. But a lot of people want to stretch perks and not Nate Perkins, want to stretch perks out to to being 100 things deep in 100 different eligibilities. And if you fulfilled every one of those, then there's mm-hmm. going to be no, no one that's going to be special for any reason.
0: And and as I've said like even if you automatically register no. somebody
1: and you wait for and them to say no,
0: even if you automatically no. register somebody and you wait for them to say no that doesn't change the issue that we had which was the bad communication if you're if if Ezra was registered for this and it went 2 3 weeks and no one heard from him they pull him off the registration there's no difference in what happened that's my idea now the maybe the argument is You know, you just lock in all these players. Every tour player gets locked in for X amount of time. But then we're going to have the issue. Do we have the problem still of do we care if these events fill? That's really the next question. Do we care if there's 100 people playing or only 70? Those extra 30 that could fit? Does it matter? I mean, do we care if, if... the guy who's nine ninety nine rated, who waited there and waited there and waited there for to open up. If he plays, I, I I don't know because it used to be that those bottom people were all feeders for money to the top pros. You know that's how we made a bunch of the money and made up for for you know the uh, the purse. That's less and less relevant now. Not that those don't still count, but if if you take out twenty or thirty people at three hundred and fifty bucks a piece, you know, six, seven grand out of the purse on a, we'll just probably say a seventy five thousand dollar purse is my guess, somewhere around there, maybe more than that. Maybe I'm miscounting, but I don't know.
2: That's that's a whole nother question that we need to have. Yeah, I mean, it depends like this. this,
1: You're invited largely based on. Uh, the the fact of having wins or
2: some other accreditation uh from the year or from the prior year which is is very different than how the USGGC does it it doesn't have half
1: and in theory you could win 20 flex starts on the with uh, within the PGA 20 flex start seed C- in place with the- yeah, Terry. I'm gonna players at it win.
0: I'm I'm cutting the video to you. I'm I'm, I'm I might just cut you completely because you're super choppy and it's almost good. totally impossible to understand what you're saying. So well, that's good. There. So um, I I just right. cut I just cut video to you
1: right now. So but you're still here. Oh, Maybe, good. maybe well, that'll help. Well, here, then I can do all sorts of things I shouldn't be doing here. No, we can um, still see no, you. You can't so, see us oh, now. Oh darn it. Internet. Okay. Um, anyway, b- point being, um, you know, every all these majors have different criteria for how you either register or I'm sorry, how you qualify for them, and, and so we have one blanket statement or one blanket that covers all of them. If we're going to continue to have different criteria, USDGC's criteria to play is different than
2: Worlds, which is different than the Cup. So, straight ratings, whatever. You, you, there's just not one blanket scenario solution. Are you okay. Still there. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I don't know.
1: All right. Well, with that, I I don't have a problem uh, cutting loose here. I'm a, I'm a, an hour ahead of you guys, yeah. and I got a Let's bunch wrap of stuff this up. to do anyway. Um. Well, I guess with that, we're gonna. Yet again, thank Sayananda, and and congratulate her on her incredible performance this weekend. Uh, congrats to her. Of course, congrats to Vinny, who took it down on the MPO side, and then uh, here in Florida, uh, seeing uh, Morgan Lins take it down, along with Matty O on uh, the MPO side over at Tallahassee. Great weekend. If you guys aren't enjoying Disc Golf Live or post-production, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Uh, but thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. Thank you to Sai. For joining and uh, with that I'm Terry Miller of the Disc Golf Guy. Johnny V along with Cy that was episode 448 of Smashbox and uh, I'm signing off as next week when you step inside the Smashbox
0: thank you to our two dollar and above patrons your name is listed below in the credits if you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts please visit
2: patreon.com slash Smashbox TV